you've done all the hard work, you've proved that this stuff works, you've cut your pathway through the jungle, and you've proved to everyone that this works. What protection do you have to stop anyone taking all the hard work that you've done and recreating a version of that for the half a million pounds that you spent on it, that you've shown them the way, and then selling that for less? Hello, and welcome to Represented by Secret Leaders Podcast. If this is your first time listening, then let me give you a little lowdown. We're here to give more representation to black founders creating scalable businesses, as currently just 0.5% of all funding goes to black funded businesses in Europe. Throughout this series, you're going to hear one pitch per week and get the inside track on how investors grill entrepreneurs on their business, how they respond, and whether they want to proceed and consider investing. Now, it's not Dragon's Den because no one's here to screw them out of 25k for 90% of their business. And so these decisions do tend to take longer. So we're going to track the progress that's being made behind the scenes by founders that come onto the show. If you're an entrepreneur looking to apply or an investor looking to consider investing in underrepresented founders, please sign up at secretleaders.com forward slash represented. Now on to today's show, where we have investors Nick Jenkins, the founder of Moonpig and prolific angel investor, also former dragon, so the irony of the statement before isn't lost on us, Tom Singh, the founder of New Look and Rianta Capital Investment Fund, and Yvonne Bajela, a partner at Impact X Capital. They're evaluating the pitch from Bold Health, which is a brilliant digital therapeutics company co-founded by Joss, a former doctor, and Eleanor, a former VC. So pretty much a match made in heaven. Now, of course, as people have started to understand that pills aren't the only way to cure disease, digital therapies are increasing in popularity, and their particular take on the world, the opportunity, and their impressive traction to date sets them off to a good start. But how will the investors respond to their view on the market, their valuation, and the challenges ahead? Stay tuned to find out in this week's episode of Represented. Over to you, Jossie and Eleanor. So yeah, I would like to introduce you guys to Bold Health Limited. We are a digital therapeutics company for digestive health. So that means we create, digital therapeutics means creating of softwares that can clinically improve a disease. You know, so basically a software becomes a pill. And at Bold Health, we focus on creating digital therapeutics for digestive health. So to, to put this simple, in a simple way for the audience, right? Basically see us as a pharma company, that is, instead of creating pills, right, we create softwares that treat conditions. So at a board, we notice um, the gut is the window of the physical and mental health. We notice the gut is, is, is responsible for immunity, nutrition, mental health, and metabolism. But then, right, there are a lot of digestive conditions with unmet medical needs, right? So we set out on, on the mission to tackle this issue. And, and we, we notice there are a lot of different conditions like Crohn's, Crohn's and colitis, IBS, GRD. While looking into this, we decided to pick the most challenging issue that has been neglected by the system, and, and that's where we landed at IBS. So IBS is irritable bowel syndrome. It is the most common and underserved digestive condition. Um, it affects about 40 million people in America. It is the second cause of work absentee. And the annual cost of IBS in the state alone is about $30 billion, right? But then IBS has this um, biopsychosocial link, you know, whereby there's a behavioral aspect, a psychological aspect, and, and, a physical, and a physical aspect to IBS. 
we, we did, we, we reached out and, and did a lot of research and found out that behavioral medicine has greatest efficacy for, I, for IBS, but yet it's not available at scale, right? Because of the lack of therapies and the lack of expertise around this. It's way more effective than drugs and nutrition. So what we did was we built a stellar team of founded by myself and Elena. Elena has um, a background in, in business and, and investing. Um, she used to be an, an investor at Atomico, and I am a medical doctor who has been in digital healthcare for a while before it became a thing because of coronavirus. After forming this team, we went out and met the experts at universities from Stanford, um, UCL, Manchester University, and, and Harvard Medical, who have done this real research, who has the evidence to show this really works. And together, we decided to create Zemedy. Zemedy is the first CBT-based digital program for IBS. It is medically backed. We've taken it through clinical study at the University of Pennsylvania with great results, and we've actually got CEC certification. What we've, been, what we've done so far is we've, uh, we've gotten an Innovate UK grant. We've raised 500,000 pounds. We're currently raising 1.8 million pounds, and we've had about 600,000 pounds committed. Our revenue model is B2B. Right, Jossie, Jossie, we're going to have to stop you there because your three minutes is up, but you've done a good job so far, and I'm sure the investors are not going to forget to ask you about your revenue model, and Eleanor will agree, having previously been an investor. So don't worry about it. You will get a chance to say all of that. Thank you very much for your intro. We're going to go straight over to our investors. Do one of you want to put your hand up and uh, ask the first question, please? Thanks, Stan. I guess one of the questions I've I had was, you know, within the healthcare sector, one of the challenges I've seen is around distribution and actually getting the product in the hands of users, particularly uh, multi-payer systems. So, just, my question is around distribution. What is your distribution strategy? Yeah, so thank you very much for that. So we uh, we are using more like we're using the mobile approach. So we're going to to payers. So we're we're trying to get to consumers by going to payers in the states. We're also so it, it it's a gradual process, right? So the first step is to go to payers and get into the hands of employees. Then with more 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 proof points, we then take our solution to insurance companies where we can reach more users and more patients. And lastly. We're also looking at um, distributing our solution through pharmaceutical companies, through partnership and, and licensing. And you mentioned um, the US, just out of interest, why the US over the UK as an initial market? Yeah, so we are probably, we are, we are probably UK-based, a UK-formed company, but then the NNHS is so difficult and so slow. So they're, they're, like for the business, to keep going, we need to go to where the market is, and the US is the right market for us at the moment. We hope in the future to definitely offer our product within the UK market, especially within the NHS, but that's something that will take time to, to plan and to see. Okay, and another question just to follow up on the regulatory side of things. So you currently have CMARC approval. Given that you're entering the US market, where are you in that FDA approval process and is that required for your product? So yeah, so we're actually planning to, to go speak to FDA within, within a couple of months. But right now, our, our product stands in the discretion 
So in, in the FDA, right, they have a category known as um, discretion. Like they have, they, have, they have the ability to let you just sell without really going through 510K or through the, the, the novel classification. So we fall under that as well, Rix. But we ourselves, we want to go sit down with the F, FDA and say, okay, look at what we have, look at our plan, we're running this clinical study. Do we remain as, as like discretion category or we plan to go through the FDA part? So just quickly to jump in for the moment, we'll be in, a, in the wellness category and that allows us to sell into uh, employer benefits programs that are within uh, wellness budgets, as well as health plan uh, wellness budgets for their members. So that allows us to commercialize um, right now in the short term, whereas the FDA path um, means that you first get the certification, you run large-scale clinical trials, um, and that takes a few years before you can be in the market. So we wanted to, to be agile to market, so we, we're going as a wellness product in the United States. Okay. And just to clarify, given that it is a wellness product initially, you don't require any FDA approval? Correct. Okay, great. Thank you. We offer a digital care pathway as opposed to making any claims. So it's about the claims you make of being therapeutic, for example, providing you know, a percentage improvement in, in disease management. We say you know, we are a solution for management, but don't necessarily make claims around how effective that is. We just publish our study and then people kind of draw their own conclusions. So that is the, the difference. When you're FDA certified, you can make certain medical claims. If not, you position yourself as kind of a helpful uh, program rooted in science and in evidence, but then you, you're careful about the claims you make. Clearly, you've identified a really important area. It's obviously something you've got a great team. I have one issue with the, the financial projections, which I'm going to be honest, probably slightly defy the laws of business in the sense that um, if you have a product where the, uh, the overheads and the, and, and the cost of goods, the gross margin is incredibly high and the overheads are very, very low uh, for any length of time, someone is going to find another way of offering that service for a lot less money. And the one thing I would worry about here is that is that if you prove the point that uh, a lot of this largely, and I'm assuming this is largely automated and doesn't involve any one-to-one -one intervention, otherwise the cost of goods would be considerably higher, that you know, when you look at the, the, the raft of apps that are out there that people have developed and give away remarkably cheaply, that someone wouldn't recreate, uh, recreate this and offer it at a, at a considerably lo lower price and undermine you. So what, what can you do to, to prevent that? Digital therapeutics is different from any digital healthcare apps, right? Because to begin with, the rigor of evidence needed, right, to, to, to create this solution takes time. Like we we've started running, we started running a clinical study for months. And, and we just finished our study just just like two months ago. So this takes time, right? It's not just something you wake up today and you then create an app and you sell it. No, you need to prove it. Firstly, you need to get the right intervention that has been proven, then you create it into a digital platform and then take it into clinical study then prove that and then go for certification and then sell it, right? So it's, it's quite difficult to, to just replicate from like, just wake up one day and, re and replicate, that's one. And secondly, with, with regards to the margin, right? We are not the first digital reference player. We've seen the costs, like the, 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 the amount being paid for other players in the industry. I would say we actually, our, our pricing is actually moderate. Other digital players have actually cost, like in, in Germany, 
a similar platform for chronic pain gets like charges patients 100,000 euros, sorry, 1,000 euros per patient, you know? So these are based on, on evidence and, and, and proof points that, that are out there. Quickly, two, two points for perspective. So um, first of all, our first product, the app Zemedy for IBS, the very first version that we put through a clinical trial, already in this clinical trial has more efficacy better results that we know will be also sustained, more than like a leading digital uh, prescription drug for IBS diarrhea called rifaximin in the United States. A course of this drug uh, costs about $2,000 um, and you have to do it over time. The effects are not maintained. So at us, what we are pricing, intending pricing is somewhere between $500 and $1,000. It's already multiples lower than, than a drug that it's more effective than. So with our next iteration of the product, we actually think it will be much more effective than what we currently have. Uh, that's one thing. And then for pharma, when you think about margins, right? Like it's not like uh, people think that having a digital product, an app, then you don't really have cost and then it doesn't have to cost that much. It's not similar to a physical product that needs to go through a supply chain. But we know comparatively for a pharma company, right, that produces, let's say, an efficacious drug, it takes um, up to 2 billion and, and 10 to 15 years to produce something. So including that rifaximin drug that we spoke about, right? We created a digital therapeutic app that it's very effective. It treats people with sustained results. It's very accessible. Um, we charge much less and we created it within a year's time and for $500,000, right? So, so obviously our costs have been much lower. We and we managed to have to deliver the same value, if not more. So in that sense, we should be able to, to capture some pricing power as well. In the, in the GI space, lastly, is underserved. So there's very few players that are actually in the space. It's not as hot, hot as diabetes, cancer, other areas. So there is some moat there. Yeah, but what, what you have said is that something that you have spent half a million pounds developing um, so far, and which over, to, over the four years doesn't cost you an awful lot and should generate you 40 million pounds of profit or 40, 40, yeah, about 40 million pounds of profit. What protection is, I understand, it, it, regardless of the, you know, you, you've done all the hard work, you've proved that this stuff works, you've cut through your pathway through the jungle and you've proved to everyone that this works. What protection do you have to stop anyone taking all the hard work that you've done and recreating a version of that for the half a million pounds that you spent on it and you've shown them the way? How can you protect yourself against that? As I said earlier, you need to first get the intervention. The clinical intervention is not... So in the old world, right, there are only three IBS-CBT interventions by three different universities, okay? We have one of the first interventions. So you need to be able to acquire the intervention that works. So that alone, right, is, is a barrier. You can't just wake up one day and, and create a CBT app for IBS. You need the CBT itself. The, the ingredient itself is licensed to us from University of Pennsylvania, right? So that alone is, is one bottleneck. And then, as I said, right, even when you finish building your app, you get the intervention, you need to take it through RCT to, to show that, okay, this intervention works in, in a mobile format, okay? So that also takes time and that takes investment. We got it cheaply because you can, like, trust me, we are like one of the best collaborations ever. Other players in this space, right, that, that are running research, spend millions to run research. You know, but we've gotten like better ways to, to, to do this, you know, and that, that's why our cost is so cheap. So we have like good licensing deal, good, good clinical study deals, and it, it takes time. If I can get to the point, 
pharmaceutical drug uh, pharmaceutical companies have patents that protect their, the, the work they put into it. What can you get for this? Oh yeah, so so with regards to patents, right? So one of you know copywriting of the content is an IP, right? So we have that already. Then we are working on a design pattern, right? Because the way we deliver our intervention, right? The way we design our intervention is unique. You know, so there's that bit, right? And then there, there, there are like innovative things within on our platform that we're patenting too. So yeah, we do have that play also because that is also useful for our future plans. So we do have a patent strategy. Besides that, Nick, I, I agree with you. In the digital space, any day someone can build this again. What we believe is that the market is big enough that it allows for a number of players that take, you know, even similar approaches. Uh, you know, for a condition that affects 15% of the population, leads to so such a big cost. The need is so grand that, you know, if we capture only part of the market, it's still significant. It's more than even the 50 million dollars we we project in four years. The reality is, I think what will differentiate us is go to market. So building a sales team, being one of the early entrants, which we are building a brand and a name and having that effort in the market and, and success breeds success. So once you have one kind of insurer that you sell into, once you have an employer, then you sell to the next and the next and having that advantage that we're the first solution of this kind in the market, it will allow us to build uh, over the next couple of years, uh, a moat uh, and, and protection around new entrants. And in any case, everyone will have to price it in that range. No one will offer it for free. My major concern is the, the gulf between people accepting the traditional way of going to a doctor, being prescribed something, the doctors being locked into that process of how do you get people to accept this alternative method, especially in America where the established uh, pharmaceutical industry and the whole structure is totally against what you're offering. It, it is a major problem. I believe that you've got a solution that, that will work, but how do you get that through to the employer? And if the employer believes in it, how do they get their employees to understand it and, and, and accept it? Telemedicine or digital healthcare is actually being adopted massively in the state, especially because of the coronavirus. So it's something people have come to accept. But beside that, right, we've, we've studied our users. We, we understand IBS patients. So IBS patients, right, are a different set of patients because they've gone to doctors, right? They've been to hospitals several times and the medical system can't offer them anything. So that's the difference, right? They've gone to their GP, they've, they've gone to their internal, internal medicine physician and got nothing in return, okay? Most times the doctors just give them a pamphlet, oh, go try this, or go try this food, or whatever, right? Without any tangible solution. So these people actually feel neglected by the system. They are open to try solutions that work, you know, like that is better than the pamphlet. So that alone, right, is a reason why our users are open and always ready to, to try a CBT intervention for IBS. Yeah, just very quickly. So actually, it's surprising statistics, but PwC, I think, did a study last year where they asked exactly the same question. How many doctors are prescribing digital therapies, digital health solutions? How many patients are trying them? Uh, so the results were that six, uh, 54 of U.S. consumers are willing to try digital health solutions, and 77% of U.S. doctors have already prescribed uh, a digital therapeutic solution. And I'm sure by now these numbers have 
shoot up given the current situation. So actually the willingness to try and use these solutions are actually is actually quite high, especially when you have medical backing and you show that you're comparable to drugs or you actually do even better. And the benefits of a lot of these digital health solutions is that they really support the patient on their care journey. It's not just one pill that you know people go home with and they might forget to take it. They might still have other problems. They might heal, feel mentally unwell and unmotivated, etc. They have a full set um, of a care package where they're encouraged to exercise. Their lifestyle um, is, is being supported to change. They get mental health support. They get the right tools, the right measuring. So this is what we're creating, this package of care that actually is quite um, popular with both patients that want more from their medical system, medical solutions with the providers or doctors that we talk to. They're super willing to prescribe what we're doing. And uh, we have reimbursement, right? We do see a high willingness from insurance companies and employers to buy these solutions because they're actually much more cost effective. Uh, they provide an ROI uh, for traditional care. So we're not worried about that at all, actually. The, the adoption, obviously, digital is difficult. Everybody wants a magic pill. But actually, that's why we created the solutions, because they're very underserved. There is no magic pill. Medical treatments don't work well. Patients are not getting the support they need. So, so it is kind of the alternative, the solution. Um, so, so we are very hopeful that this will get adopted. Lastly, in terms of once an employer buys our solution, how do employees access it? Um, there's a whole range of, of direct-to-patient marketing we would do. So, you know, from emails you send to the employee population, even mail, uh, kind of in the post posters in the like in the cafeteria when people end up going back to work etc so you do end up having a campaign even facebook advertising instagram targeting um, to get access to the right employees to access this so do you have an example of a digital solution that involves changing the whole pattern of your existence mentally and physically yeah, there's quite a few. So, so, for example, in diabetes, the most successful companies in digital health, actually, the largest by now, are around the diabetes space. So they're still in the United States, Levongo and Omada, for example. So they do have this end-to-end -end solution where there's a, a matter of having a, a hardware device, for example, glucose meter. Then you have a coach that supports you through your care journey. Then you have a behavioral change program, an app for interface, etc. This is what we're trying to replicate but for GI conditions, starting with this very effective digital therapeutic program. Uh, for sure, this exists. Uh, it gains um, uh, a lot of footing. Uh, Levango, I think, has doubled or tripled their business uh, this year. They're, they're doing like 300 million sales in a few years. So they've been around for like five sorry, seven years or so. Um, so for sure, this space is growing a lot and the digital therapeutic space itself is growing at 20, 22% uh, every year. And for sure, it's being proven with an ROI, with a very real ROI, which people care about. It's not just about people's health and productivity, unfortunately, it's about the money and, and we are proving the money part. And to add to what Elena said, right, we actually have real users on our platform, right, that actually using this, you know, and they're seeing, it, like, the effect. So they have actually accepted it, like, in thousands, you know. So, so just to add to what she said. What do we think? I guess we'll start, start with Yvonne. Why not? 
So I do like the fact that they're tackling digestive disorders. Obviously, it's a major problem both here in the UK and in the US. And the current market as it stands is very fragmented and you know, patients aren't adequately treated for it. So I think that they are tackling quite a, a large market there. My concern is around the willingness, you know, despite the interest that they've received from insurers and employers, how do you actually get that into users' hands and the cost that's associated with doing that? So that's my my key reservation. And what do you think in terms of where you sit, um, like, you know, emotionally with it? Is it something you're definitely interested to hear more of? Is it in your valuation range? Is it a no? Is it a yes? Um, it's something that I'm interested in. I think for me, I'd need to see more proof points um, around that, you know, go to market strategy. Uh, in terms of the valuation, again, I, I think it's fair. 1.8 million at 8 million post. But, you know, I, I certainly need to see more proof points. Okay. And Nick? I don't doubt that they've, that they've got something that will be very, very useful to sufferers, sufferers of IBS, and it will be used. I think what they didn't demonstrate was how do you protect... Their, their, their pricing is based on, on comparing it with the pharmaceutical approach, which is protected by very, very clearly defined patents that allow them to charge a particular price and maintain that price for 20-odd years. Uh, they didn't explain how you can do that with this kind of technology. And therefore, I think what they're proposing, when you look at these, these numbers are com- completely unsustainable. It's ridiculous that, that insurance companies would want to continue to pay those kind of margins to somebody, or that somebody else wouldn't come in and say, well, we've seen how they've done it. Clearly, it works. We know the recipe. We'll just do it ourselves, and we'll charge you less. The economics are just unsustainable. They also, I mean, they're arguing that they can make sort of 40 million in, 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 in 2023. If they were more modest, accepting that they were going to have their pricing slashed, uh, over time, they could still make this a very attractive business. So I think they're just being um, off-put by the, the the lack of reality over that and the fact that they haven't addressed the intellectual property of, of, of what they got. But I don't doubt that what they've got is very useful and that they've got a good team. Okay, great. And Tom, what do you think? Uh, I've gone from being sceptical to definitely wanting to understand more. Uh, the diabetes thing was interesting, but it's clear ways of measuring improvement in diabetes. And I'm not sure there's clear ways of measuring improvement in, in, the, in the IB, whatever it is. So I would definitely like to understand more about how digital remedies have prospered other than diabetes in other areas. Uh, and yeah, I'd like to yeah, find out more. Excellent. Okay, so uh, Eleanor and Josie, we're going to hear some feedback. Uh, so starting with you, please, Yvonne. Sure. Thank you, Elena, for and Josie for the great pitch. Um, I really do like the fact that you're tackling digestive disorders. I think you really hit the nail on the head in that you know it's such a huge issue both here in the UK and the US, and so you know it's quite a, a large market that you're tackling. I guess my key concern was around the willingness of you know getting it into the hands of users i think it's great that you've you've seen a lot of interest from insurers and employers um the the costs associated with actually getting it into users hands and and actually getting them to actually engage with the product um i think is something that i'm not too sure whether that's been baked into your cost um but i'm certainly interested in, in learning more um and you know i guess delve it a bit deeper into how you're thinking through that great over to you nick Okay, I have. Uh, I'm very impressed with it. I think there's, there's a real future to uh, to digital apps like this um, that will save a lot of money. Uh, my one reservation is you didn't demonstrate how how you can protect your intellectual property compared with the pharmaceutical. So you've compared your pricing with pharmaceutical pricing. 
but, uh, but I understand how they protect their intellectual property. You need to demonstrate better how you can protect, uh, how you can protect yours. But I don't doubt, great team, and it's, 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 a, it's a growing area that has, has demonstrated its, its efficiency. Um, but I, I, I'd be interested to hear more about how you, can, how you think you can defend the pricing in the future. And if you pardon the pun as a gut feel, uh, as an investor, what are you thinking? Listen, there's a gut brain, there's a brain connection, <laughs> so you can't just... Uh, I, I, I do think this kind of stuff is the future, so I'm, I'm interested, but I just need, I just, I need to understand more about intellectual property protection. Got it. Okay, over to you then, Tom. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a major issue, and uh, I am interested in learning more. In particular, other case studies other than diabetes of other areas that have uh, been tackled in this way. So once, uh, yeah, I'd like to learn more for sure and um, spend some, a little bit more time with the team. Definitely interested. Okay, brilliant. Okay, so Jossie, Jossie and Eleanor, what we want is uh, you know, no more than a minute really. So maybe do 30 seconds each just on um, how you feel that went what you're hoping for from that, I guess, and then definitely uh, where people can follow you, find out more about the information, uh, about the company and um, naturally uh, social handles as well, if you want to share them. So we'll start with you then, Jossie. How did you find that? Yeah, I think it was quite interesting and actually, it was great actually, because um, the investors understood what we're trying to do. So which, which means they are quite exposed to the space, you know, and, and then they, they are interested to know more, right? So that's good. So yeah, so to, to follow us, I would say you should go to www.bold.elf. I'm on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter, Dr. Onwudei. And yeah, you can shoot me an email anytime, Josie at bold.elf. Great, thank you. And Eleanor? Yeah, likewise. Uh, great fun. Thanks for organizing. Um, I would have liked the investors to focus more on the upside and opportunity rather than the concerns. Uh, I've been an investor as well, and I think you only end up investing when you really kind of get excited and, and see the the upside and the good things about an investment. But that's fine. Uh, we're, we're used to tough questions. Um, so, so yeah, happy to connect with anyone at my email, elena at bold.health. And uh, we're on Twitter, products, Emedy for IBS is at, uh, at tries Emedy um, uh, on Twitter. And we have uh, quite a bit of presence there. Great. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And we're looking forward to getting this out and tracking your journey and making sure that we're updating listeners about your funding journey as we go as well. So thanks a lot. That's it for today's episode. If you're an investor interested to learn more about the great applications we're getting from black founded companies and want access to their funding decks and even introductions, or you're an entrepreneur looking to apply to be on the show to be considered by our investment committee, either way, please go to secretleaders.com forward slash represented and follow the links there. Big thanks to our producer, Rich Martel, editor Harry Morton of Lower Street Media and illustrator Christina Katz for helping put this show together. We'll see you on the next episode and remember to help us spread the word and make sure we get more black founders represented. See you next week.